God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From the callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Psalm 73. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 73 and join us in the Word of God. We're in the series that we're calling The Antidote, looking at the antidote to some of our biggest heart pains and loudest emotions and fears and worries. And so here we, in the psalm, Psalm 73, we're going to look at the experience of bitterness. Now, I don't know if you're listening in to the first half of this psalm. It's a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was King David's worship leader, right? So he was the man. He was leading the people. He's writing music so that the people would be able to sing in the house of God, in the sanctuary, in their worship services. And this song, believe it or not, the song you just heard read, was meant to be sung corporately as a worship song together. If you read the lyrics of this song, it doesn't seem like the kind of song you sing at church. We don't sing these kind of songs often in church. We're usually not so good at singing songs that express this kind of pain and angst. If this song was kind of given a a genre of music, I would say that this psalm is kind of like a 90s grunge song. You know, this is like a Nirvana song. This is like a Pearl Jam song. This is like crunchy guitars, angry, angry beats. That's the kind of tone this psalm has. It's one of the things I love about the psalms is that it's just so real, so raw in expressing what's really going on, not hiding it in our hearts. And we usually don't do that so well in the modern church. We hide our feelings. We suppress our feelings. We're told it's not okay to feel like that when you come into the sanctuary. 
And so some of us might be experiencing exactly what the psalmist was experiencing, a heart of bitterness. But we want you to be able to sing songs that really reflect what's going on in your soul right now. You know, I know growing up for me in in church, we were taught to sing songs like, um, I'm in right, upright, downright, outright, happy all the time. Some of you remember that song? Those are the kind of songs we sang. When's the last time we came and gathered together and sung a hymn that sounds like this? Great is my bitterness. (laughs) No? You know, how about a song that's like, morning by morning, new resentments I see. All I can see are the things you have not provided. Great is my bitterness, O Lord, to thee. Not going to be showing up in the hymnal anytime soon. You're not going to hear that song on Caleb anytime soon. And so as Christians, we suppress these things in our hearts. But I want to help you today. Maybe you have some suppressed bitterness as you enter this room. Say, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm dealing with bitterness? I'm going to give you a five-question quiz this morning to help you out with this, okay? So you can take out a pen and paper, grab the sermon notes in front of you, and write these down, okay? And I'm going to have you mark either a one, somewhere between one and five. One is this does not describe me at all, and five is this describes me to a T, okay? So one, this doesn't describe me. Five, this describes me, okay? This is participant uh, church here this morning. So participate in there. Here's the first question. I'm critical of others, what they have and how they live. I'm critical of others, what they have and how they live. That does not describe me at all. That's a one, a five, that describes me a T or somewhere in the middle. Number two, I struggle to be genuinely happy for others. I struggle to be genuinely happy for others. Number three, I feel that I am more deserving of good things than other people. Number four, I tend to see more negatives than positives in my life. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. I like that one. Not exactly the vibe we're going for this morning, but. Five, I often feel, he's the last one, five, I often feel that life hasn't been fair to me. I often feel like life hasn't been fair to me. Okay, add all those up. Add them all up. You didn't know you're going to be doing math this morning. Like school's over. A little bit of math. Okay. If you have 15 points or more, you don't have to raise your hand, don't worry. If you have 15 points or more, you're probably struggling with bitterness. Okay? Some kind of bitterness in your life, and maybe you didn't know it until right now, or maybe like, I knew I was going to get a 30 before you even started talking. Man, Psalm 73 is my heart song. This is my life right now. Wherever you are in that, there's an antidote that we're going to talk about today because there is victory for this. You do not have to live with this root of bitterness in your soul. God wants you to uproot that from your soul. The Spirit of God wants to speak to you from this psalm. Halfway through this psalm, and you just heard a little hint of it in verse 17, halfway through this psalm, everything changes. There's a turning point in this psalm And where the song goes from 90s grunge to like, you know, Chris Tomlin. (laughs) And it happens 
because something turned in the heart of Asaph, and that's what we want to discover today. So that's my prayer that God would help you to do that very same thing in your soul today. So let me just say a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would meet us here today. Lord, may the heat not be a distraction here this morning. Lord, may, may you speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. For those of us that are dealing with a root of bitterness in our life, resentment, anger in our hearts, that today might be the day that we begin to proclaim victory over that area of our life. You can do that. I can't do that, Lord. You can do that through the preaching of your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna look at this antidote. First, we're gonna ask the question, what causes bitterness? What causes bitterness? There's probably a lot of things that cause bitterness, but here in this psalm, Asaph makes it very clear what was causing the bitterness in his heart. Look at verse one. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is what I believe in my head, he says, but as for me, that has not been the case. That has not been true experientially. Why? He said, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here, Asaph is picturing himself sort of climbing up onto a mountain, onto a precipice where maybe there's a sheer cliff on both sides, and he's standing in this precipice. It's kind of the precipice of his faith. This represents his faith in God, his leadership of the church of God in the Old Testament. And he's saying, I'm standing here, and there's a slippery slope on both sides, and I almost lost my footing. I almost lost my faith. And what caused him to almost lose his faith in God? It was envy. It was this bitterness in his heart. It started with envy. It started when he began looking around at everyone else and comparing his life to theirs. See, bitterness, the root of bitterness starts when you want someone else's life. That's envy, isn't it? That's what envy is. It's when you want their opportunities that you didn't get. When you want the hand that was dealt to them that wasn't dealt to you. Man, they got four aces, you don't even have two pair. You want their talents, you want their looks, you want their possessions, you want their personality. You want their relationships. And you compare your life and you become dissatisfied with your own life. Why? Because comparison is a thief of all joy. And this is what was happening in his life. Listen to how he describes it, verse 4 and 5. This is what the grass is always greener syndrome tends to do to you. Listen to how he describes the other side, the other yard. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued with human ills. Isn't this what bitterness sounds like? Doesn't it still, doesn't envy still sound like that? Here we are, thousands of years later, completely different culture, and we're still envious of the very same things. You look at the social media profile and you say, man, did they ever have a bad day in their life? Why do they always look so happy? Is this seriously another vacation? How many days off do they get? <laughs> How come they always take perfect pictures? They're so photogenic. Every time I try to snap a selfie, I look like a gargoyle. 
You know, they lose weight, I find it. <laughs> this isn't fair. Their kids are getting into the best schools. They always seem like they have an upward, up into the light projection of their life. And on and on and on it goes. This is envy. But notice that Asaph was not only envious, he don't only want their life, but bitterness also causes us to say the mantra, it's not fair. It's not fair. They shouldn't have that kind of life. Listen to what he says, verse six. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff, they speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Do you hear what he's saying? He's like, these people that have this great life, they're like the worst people on the planet. You ever feel that way? You look at sort of the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, the people that are killing it, crushing it at work, or people that are, you know, owning big businesses, the millionaires, the billionaires, the people that live in those huge houses, and you're like, their lives are a train wreck. They, they don't care about God. These people don't deserve this. What have they done with their success and power? If I had their success and power, I would never treat people like that. Or at least you don't think you would. They abuse it. They let it go to their heads. They think they're gods. And so he goes on and on. He gets to verse 16. When I tried to understand all of this, it made my head hurt. He said, it troubled me deeply. It gave me an ulcer. I was so angry. I was so bitter. Saying, God, how is this fair? Here, Asaph is trying to live the moral life. He's trying to live the good life. He's trying to do all the things that are right in the eyes of God. And yet these evil people are getting all the perks. He's saying, if anyone deserves that life, it's me. Maybe some of you feel that same way today. You look at your life and say, what, did I, what have I done to deserve this? I deserve much better. I deserve their life. I've tried to do everything right. I've tried to do it all according to prescription. I did everything that James Dobson told me to do when my still, still my kids aren't following Jesus. True love waited. I tried to be a good wife and my husband still walked out on me. I tried to be a great employee and I tried to tell the truth and, li and, and do what's right with money and I still got fired. I prayed and I prayed and I came to worship and I tithe and I still have this chronic pain or sickness I'm dealing with. You fill in the blank of however you feel like life has been unfair to you. Can you relate to this? This is where Asaph finds himself, and it's a slippery, slippery slope indeed. It's a dangerous place to be because in this state, you begin to doubt the goodness of God. You doubt the very character of who God is in this place of comparison, in this place of the robbing of joy, in this place that says it's not fair. So what's the antidote to this place, this 
bitterness in our hearts. You say, man, I don't want it. I don't want this in my life. It's miserable. Just kind of repeating this cycle over and over again in my, in my heart. So how do I get rid of it? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 15 warns us, he says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Watch out for this poisonous root of bitterness. When Pastor Hayes and his family, the Parnells, came and moved here to to Delaware from Alabama, one of the things they noticed as they began exploring our parks and our woods and forests is that they could walk right through the, the, the forest and walk around in the forest with no problems and I was like, well, what's odd about that? He said, do you understand in most of Alabama, the, the forests have been overtaken by this invasive vine species where it completely just like swallows up forests. Like it just like canopies and like covers trees. If you drive down 95 and you see this in the south, you'll see this. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Some of you know about it. It's a vine called kudzu that's like just swallowed up parts of Alabama and other places down south. In fact, one article said they called the vine that ate the south. Yeah, this is real stuff. So the writer of Hebrews is warning us that if we allow bitterness, the root of bitterness, it is like an evasive species of vine that'll just begin to swallow everything up in our lives. It'll start with our joy. That's the first thing it always takes is our joy. Then it starts to take our relationships. Why? Because you don't want to be around people that are bitter. Unless you're bitter too, then you don't mind. But you begin to push people away from you. Those become toxic people to want to be around. I don't want to be around that negativity. And then you begin infecting others. You cause others to lose their joy. You cause others to to look at the world through a negative lens. You cause others to question God's goodness. So how do you deal with that? Well, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't go around with a hedge trimmer and just start trimming the hedges. What do you got to do? You got to dig up that root. Got to get to the root. That's what the author says. Dig up that root. So we want to look at four keys to uprooting bitterness that the psalmist gives us as an antidote to bitterness in our lives. Here we go. First, number one. Take notes. Write this down. Number one, get real about the why. Get real about the why. Now, it's not just the question, why am I bitter? That's important. You need to know what that is, why you're bitter. But there's another why question that Asaph leads us to. Verse 13. Notice what he says. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Do you hear this? Surely in vain... I've kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in incense. Do you realize what he's admitting? He's admitting what a lot of religious people, a lot of even Christians, will sometimes have as a root in their hearts. And it's this. He's admitting that the reason he was living a moral life, the reason he was obeying, the reason he was serving God was in order to get the good life from God. In order to get things from God. That's why he was obeying. He says, in vain, in other words, I'm not getting the payoff from God that I deserve. A lot of religious people have the you owe me God syndrome. God, I have done all these good things. You owe me 
the good life. You owe me health. You owe me to have my kids want to follow Jesus. You owe me to have wealth and prosperity. Hmm? See, what Asaph had in his heart was the prosperity gospel. God, if I do these things, you must give me this life. And apparently, this isn't working, so it's all in vain. And for some of us, friends, some of us have the very same gospel in our hearts. I'm trying really hard. I'm doing these good things. God, you owe me. Is that in your heart? That is the antithesis of the gospel because you know what the gospel says? The gospel says not a single one of us deserve that good life that we have in our heads. Every single one of us is a sinner. Every one of us is is in rebellion. All of us are, as the writer of Ephesians, Paul says, are under the wrath of God, deserving of the wrath of God because of our sin. We've all walked away from him. We don't deserve that good life. And it's only because of the grace of God given through Jesus Christ, the one who came and died for us in our place, the one who came, lived a sinless life that we couldn't live, became our sin substitute that we, through belief, through faith in him, we get to inherit the good life, the ultimate good life of eternity with God forever and ever. We're no longer under condemnation. We are now under his grace covered by his blood. So we don't obey in order to get something from God, we obey because we've already gotten everything from God, and now we obey out of a gratitude in our hearts. That is a gospel obedience. That is a gospel-flavored worship. What's in your heart today? A prosperity gospel? God, you owe me for all the things I'm doing, and so because you haven't given them, it's all in vain? Or, God, even what I have, even if it's little, it's only from you. So I want to worship you, not because of what you're, I get from you, because of what you've already given me. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? Get real about the why. Secondly, get perspective in the house of God. You want to uproot bitterness in your life. Secondly, we need to get perspective in the house of God. Verse 17, notice this turning point. He says, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then... I understood their final destiny. He understood the destiny of the wicked, those without God, and he also understood his destiny in God, in a relationship with God. It was in the sanctuary. The sanctuary in that day was the temple. It was the house of God where his people dwelt in the presence of God. And it's in this place that Asaph began to find his way out of bitterness. If you grew up in the 90s, You might remember magic eye art. Do you remember this? Do we have a picture of it? You guys remember this? It was like, for like a brief hot minute, this was really popular. In fact, it overtook overtook a lot of things. It overtook like books and all kinds of stuff. You go to like your your local bookstore. these These were everywhere. It even made itself into an episode of Seinfeld back in the day, classic episode. Um, but the whole idea with these is that you stare, and, and by the way, this is when we didn't, we didn't have screens, we didn't have iPhones, this is what kids did all day. We, we stare at these magic books, and they just look like, you know, sort of random patterns, but inside, hidden in here, is a hidden image. Yeah, there's a hidden image in there. 
Now, everybody had a, a, a different kind of technique to see that image. What worked for me is I tell people, now you gotta squint, and then you gotta look at the center of your nose, and then you gotta look up and hold it for three minutes, <laughs> and then you'll see it. And I was the best in my town, best in my school at seeing these, but a lot of people couldn't see them. My own parents couldn't see it. They'd look at it and they'd be fr grow frustrated. I don't know what you're talking about. I think this whole thing is a gimmick. And none of it's even true. I can't see it. They'd get frustrated and angry. You get a headache after a little while looking at this. You guys see it? Do you see the image in there? Nobody sees it? There's a dolphin in there, like a 3D dolphin, a couple of them actually in there. Turn that, turn that off. Everybody's going to be distracted looking at that for the rest of the time. <laughs> You'll feel the frustration of it. But this was what Asaph was dealing with. He was looking intently. He was focused on the temporal, on, on comparing himself. He was focused on the, on the chaos. And in it, he couldn't see clarity. He couldn't see what God was really trying to help him to see. And it wasn't until he got a new perspective. It wasn't until God reoriented his perspective, gave him spiritual eyes in the sanctuary of God that he could see clearly. And what is it that he saw? He saw how short and brief this world is and how long and amazing and glorious eternity is. That's what he saw. That's what we need in the same place. You know, one of the great benefits of coming to a house of worship. Normally on a Sunday you get AC, but other than that, Coming to a house of worship, when we gather here, we hear each other's prayers. We read the scriptures together. We hear the preaching of the word. We, our spirits are lifted up into the heavenly realms through worship. We encourage one another as we interact with them and pray for each other and bless one another. And it's in a place like this, a unique place in the house of God, where we get perspective on eternity. It's a place where the Holy Spirit intently dwells with us, awakens our spiritual eyes to see the very same thing that Asaph saw. Are you getting a glimpse of that? Are you getting a glimpse of eternity? Not only your eternity, but those who don't follow God. This is what happened. He discerned, wait a second, the people that I envy the most these people that don't have God, everything's going to end very tragically for them. In fact, everything that they have in this life will be taken from them. Everything. Everything they love, everything that they are chasing is all going to go back in the box. It's all going to collapse. It's all going to get swept away in the flood. And the only thing that we have that takes us through this life is God himself. Everything else is swept away. And so if you're chasing anything other than that, even good things, if you're chasing power, authority, money, if you're chasing a relationship, if you're chasing popularity or entertainment, even good things, if you chase them without God, you are to be pitied. Look at verse 20. They are like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. You know what he's saying? You ever, you ever have a dream and you feel like it's so real? In fact, it feels so long. And then you wake up and you're like, 
It's not real. It's not even true. And you just kind of move on with your life. It was like this, this thing that felt so real, and then it's gone. It was a fantasy. And that's what life is going to be like for those outside of the grace of God, outside of the gospel. They are living a fantasy that is going to come to an end, and poof, it's over. Game over. J.D. Greer once said this, for the believer, the brief pain of this world is the closest to hell that we will ever come. And for the unbeliever, the, the brief pleasure in this world is the closest to heaven that they will ever come. Do you believe that's true? So why should we be bitter? We shouldn't have anything to be bitter about. If anything, we should be compassionate. We should share the gospel with people that are perishing. We want them to experience this life that we have in Christ. What is shaping your perspective right now? Is your perspective being shaped by social media? Is it being shaped by the rich and the famous? Is it being uh, shaped by the people that have the corner office? Or is it being shaped by eternity? Thirdly, we need to get a grip on God's hand of grace. You want to uproot bitterness? We got to get a grip on God's hand of grace. He says in verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. Man, I was less human and I was more like an animal. Why? Because what do animals do? Animals think about their next meal. Pretty much. They're not planning out their future. They're not thinking about their 401k. They're not thinking about eternity. They're thinking hungry, food, eat. That's how I was like. I was so focused on the temporal. I wasn't thinking about the eternity. I was a brute beast, he says. Yet, what a beautiful word, verse 23. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand and you guide me with, the counsel, with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Even in his bitterness, even in his animalistic mentality, his carnal flesh, even then God was with him. What a beautiful, gracious truth. Isn't that the heart of the gospel? That no matter how hard-hearted we can sometimes be, no matter how in the flesh we can sometimes be, no matter how mean and angry and resentful we can be at times in our life, in Christ, he is still holding us by the right hand. Even at your worst, he's still holding you by the right hand in Jesus Christ, and he's not gonna let you go. Do you realize you're gripped by his grace? One of the best things that you can do, I, don't know, I wanna give you this as a take home, something to do this week. Think back, and maybe write it down, journal. Think back throughout your life and think about in maybe the most painful moments, the most confusing moments, the most grieving moments, the most dangerous moments in your life, how God's hand of grace had been on your, in your life holding you the whole time. How God's hand was holding you going through that divorce. God's hand was holding you in that accident where your life could have been over just like that. God's hand was holding you in that abusive relationship when he freed you from it. God's hand was holding you when you went through that financial meltdown and that crisis. Look back at how God's hand has been holding you the whole time. It is by his grace. It is by his grace. How is God holding your hand in your life right now? I want you to dwell on that this week. Finally, lastly, you want to uproot 
You want to uproot this bitterness in your life. Fourthly, we need to get back to our first love. We need to get back to our first love. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Look how far Asaph has come. Asaph, you know, he was Nirvana. He was Kurt Cobain angry. And now he's Chris Tomlin leading a worship song. He's Israel Houghton raising his hand in worship to the Lord. This is a man who went from in vain I obeyed you to all I have is you. How does that happen? Transformation, a renovation of his heart. He got back to his first love. He rediscovered the first love that bitterness had stolen from him. My, the first couple years of our marriage, Shannon and I, were we didn't have money, but the little money we had, we were really frugal and we really tried to save. So we would do, you know, little vacations that really weren't vacations, not like we have them today. Like, for example, in the first year of our marriage, we went on a little overnight vacation to Ocean City, Jersey, and um, we stayed overnight in, uh, in our car in a church parking lot. All right, so a- any of you ever, ever do this? I don't know if it's legal, um, but, but that's what we did. And we used, like, you know, wet wipes, you know, that was kind of the shower. Uh, we just stay, stay in the car, you know, no big deal. This is what you do when you have no money and you still want to get to the beach, right? So that's what we did. Ironically, we, we stayed in this church parking lot. And uh, the next morning, we wake up to a bunch of uh, older later, uh, ladies, like, getting, uh, getting, I don't know, like a church, like, rummage sale or something going in the parking lot. We're like, uh-oh, okay, back out slowly. Let's get out of here. But we look back in those moments, even though we had nothing, but we, we look back at them really fondly because we didn't need anything. We didn't, need, we didn't need AC. We didn't need, you know, a beautiful, nice, comfortable bed. We didn't need lots of space. We didn't need great food. We really, we just needed each other. We had so much fun just, just together. That's really, at the end of the day, you said, man, that's, that's all we need. We just need each other. This is what Asaph realized. I don't need all this stuff. I just need you, God. Ultimately, that's all I have. Whether you bless me with a lot or, or a little, all I need is you. All I have is you. It's all gonna be taken anyway, so what am I holding on to other than you? Can you get back to your first love? Do you remember when you first discovered how amazing the gospel is? And it just shook, shook your life up, and you realize, oh my goodness, I've been chasing all the wrong things, and he's right here the whole time. Get back to that first love. Remember when you could sing from your heart, even with very little, blessed be the name of the Lord. Get back to that love. Do you believe that the love of God is better than anything else life on earth can give you? Do you believe that? Would you bow your heads with me? I'll just give you a moment of reflection as the worship team comes up. And in your soul, make this place a sanctuary for you. This is, this is just a church building. There's, not, there's nothing magical about this building, but there is something 
spiritual and powerful about the people gathering here together, where you dwell with us by your spirit. So Lord, we are making this a sanctuary. But also, Lord, your word says that Jesus Christ, when we believe in Jesus, he comes in and lives in our hearts so that our hearts become a sanctuary, a dwelling place of God through the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, in this place, in this sanctuary, may we make our hearts a sanctuary for you to dwell. May we give you access, Lord, to our hearts right now. May we test our hearts and ask, is there any bitter root there that needs to be dealt with? Am I doubting God's goodness in any area of my life right now? Have I allowed a spirit of comparison to steal my joy? Confess that to the Lord. Reveal it to him. He already knows it's there. You just tell him. Would you ask him to remind you of, his, of, your, first, of your first love? Would you ask him to hold him, hold you by his right hand of grace, grip you tight? Would you let him reorient your perspective of eternity? Take just a moment. Take the next 60 seconds to dwell on that, and then we're going to sing a song together in response.